So a group of young yeshiva students are draining zich. You know, it's draining zich. They're milling about in the streets of a little Russian town and they're hungry. It's the evening time. And they pass by, excuse me, the town miser. He's incredibly rich, but incredibly stingy. And they see, this never happens. They see that his door is wide open. His gates are open, doors are open. This is not an opportunity you miss. Five of them, they raced into the house, sat themselves down at the dining room table just as the miser is sitting down to dinner. And he's a stingy guy, but he's not gonna, guests are sitting at his table, so he's not gonna turn them down. So he tells his wife, put out five more plates, let's let these these boys go home with, with full stomachs. Sure enough, no jokes. Course one, the salads, the fish, a second course, the soup, the regular Thursday night, and then the chicken. And these boys are blown away. The miser couldn't have known they were coming. And yet, there's a meal fit for a king for each one of them. This was incredible. So after they finished, one of the guys comments, he says, wow, you know, if this was the kind of meal that you had ready for us when we were unexpected. Imagine if we were expected, if we were prepared. Imagine what kind of a meal we would have gotten. So the guy is sitting at the front of the table says, if I would have been expecting you, my doors would have been locked shut. Such <laughs> <coughs> taste. Book three of the Tanya, it's the book of Tshuva. Return. Contemporary wisdom would have you think that tshuva is a very local experience. It's about you repairing yourself. God is perfect. God is untouchable. We veer off the path, lightning will strike us. If we do tshuva, now we're saved. Now we're in the clear. Now we're in the safety zone, you know. It's a very simplistic understanding of tshuva. <coughs> because it almost keeps God removed from the whole thing. It says, yeah, you went off, come back. I won't mind, whatever. But it's got nothing to do with me. It's, it's just your, it's you handling your own garbage. And from that perspective, if that's the only approach that we have to tshuva, God would actually be like that guy who says, you know, if I were expecting you to sin, then my doors would be locked shut. I'm not the kind of God that allows for mistakes and repairs. and I'm the untouchable, almighty, all-perfect God don't offend me or else. From that perspective, it's like tshuva is almost, you gotta, you gotta push it through in order to exist. Tshuva doesn't exist by default. Tshuva is not a thing that God would open up his doors for us, let us in unexpected. This is, there's big rules. But in, if I could boil it to one line, 
what Chassidus, what the Alter Rebbe wants us to walk away with on tshuva is that we have to understand that this return is taking place on multiple levels. <clears throat> it's not just a restoration of our own, let's call it our own misdeed. We just want to get out of the way of punishment, so we clean up quickly and bang our chest. I'm sorry, Hashem, now don't do whatever you wanted to do to me. It's much, much bigger than that. Tshuva is a restoration of multiple universes because, and it's predicated on a basic Kabbalistic belief, that every action that we do in this world is not isolated. When I do something here, it's moving many things in the spiritual realms. And of course, today, with scientific advancements, we can appreciate this because in the physical world, we know how much a little act ripples. You throw a rock into the water, they say there's effects that can be traced, you know, almost infinitely. So multiply that by spirituality where it's not just physical. You're talking about worlds. You're talking about higher planes of consciousness. You're talking about angels. You're talking about souls. When we do a holy act, a mitzvah act, or a violation of a mitzvah act, these deeds reverberate. They, they, have, they have incredible power to the point that the Altar of makes the case along the 12 chapters of this book that God himself gets touched by the deeds or misdeeds that we do. Because our essence is our soul, our essence is godly energy, when we misuse the soul, we misuse the godly energy because that's what's animating us. What's giving us the power to eat non-kosher? What's giving the power to our muscles to bite the food? It's our soul. It's our godly soul. So it turns out that the godly energy is being channeled to, to an act of sin. To use the Zohar's words, which the Alter Rebbe brings in this, in this book, you fragment. You fragment godly energy. God's name is made up of four letters. Yud and a He and a Vav and a He. That's like a... I guess a prototype for all existence. It's the way everything operates. Everything begins with a yud with a little point, then it expands like a hay. It's got you know, two sides, and then there's a little third one, because there's always a, when, when, when expansion happens, there's always an element that gets divorced. When you move out of the original point, something gets detached. And then it's a vav, you know, drop down. And then it's another hay, another expansion, another divorce. And uh, the hay, the final hay, represents this reality which we live in. So when we misuse godly energy in this reality, it's called in the Zohar, fragmenting the hay. You have Yud Hey Vav, and Hashem's final hay gets you know, blown to smithereens, or if you will. Huh? Ejected. Ejected. Yeah, that's a good word. <coughs> and tshuva, return, becomes not just restoring yourself, not just saving yourself from punishment, and not just restoring the energy within your soul, but actually restoring the God that got, that got fragmented. Now, like every mitzvah, there's a legal element too. So when I say now that Hasidus wants you to appreciate that tshuva is you know, a very cosmic concept, it's not just cosmic. Everything in this world has legal parameters. 
So every mitzvah is going to have a very specific um, process for how to do it. It's like we're coming out from Sukkot. Lulav, if you learn in Kabbalah, Lulav has incredible significance. You wave it out, you wave it in, you're bringing the energy from all directions into your heart. There's a concept of Da'at and, and za that are connecting. These are spiritual sfirot, supernal elements of Hashem's attributes that are getting connected when we bring the lulo from the top to the bottom. The whole, there's so much going on. And yet, the recipe for the lulav is very precise. You gotta shake it this way and then shake it that way and it's gotta be these types of fruits and that type of plant and that's how mitzvahs are. Extremely detailed in the physical but massively impactful on the higher level. So tshuva is the same way. The first three chapters of the book, the Alter Rebbe details the legalities of tshuva. What exactly is the deed of tshuva? And the deed, the Alter Rebbe refines it and in a way reduces it because many commentaries place tshuva, you know, as almost an impossibility. If there's so many things and so many checklists, that it's like impossible to do it. The Alter Rebbe says tshuva is one thing, a commitment going forward. Don't look back, forward. Tshuva means I've done it and I will not do it again, done. I stepped out of line, I violated Hashem's will, I'm not going there again. We're done. That's the legality of tshuva. Everything else is, uh, is commentary. It, it, it's, exactly, it's, what, it's like a side dish. It gets a bonus points. <clears throat> because other commentaries talk about verbally confessing and talk about um, feeling regret for the past. They talk about fasting. Fasting becomes a massive subject in, in this book of the Tanya. But that's, that's not part of tshuva. Tshuva is just the forward-thinking commitment. Fasting is, the Alter Rebbe calls fasting like the gift that you give after the lawyer wins your case. All right, the lawyer comes in, he mediates, puts it all together, you're clean. Clean doesn't mean back in good grace. Clean means we erased the past. Now you fast, you're telling Hashem, listen, I want to come back as though it never happened. Because typically when somebody offends us, it doesn't go back to it never happened. You could clean it up, you could make it right, but it doesn't go back to that pre-violation you know, state. We tell Hashem by fasting that we want to bring it back to the way it was. That's what fasting accomplishes. Although the Alter Rebbe makes a case that fasting is not for today's generation. We don't, we don't do that because the purpose of fasting is to make you more spiritual. Instead, today, when people fast, you, you lose touch. You can't focus, you can't learn, you can't function. So today, it's tzedakah. Tzedakah takes the place of, of the bonus points. <coughs> but be that as it may, the deed of tshuva, the legal deed of tshuva is the forward commitment. Okay, but legalities aside, we can focus on the spiritual tshuva. How do we restore? How do we rectify this incredible godly mishap that we've created? That's the bulk of the, the book three of the Tanya. From chapter four till chapter 11, really. Excluding the final chapter, which is a conversation on its own. Baal is obsessed with the process and the meaning of this, this cosmic tshuva. 
And what it comes down to is um, is two steps. Let's call it negativity and positivity. Bitter and joyful. That's how this incredible tshuva gets accomplished. There's a stage of incredible remorse, and then there's a stage of incredible celebration. Remorse has to begin first, and remorse is achieved, not just regret for the past, it's a much broader remorse. It's, a, it's, it's being reflective about how you got here. To be in a post-sin reality means to be in a space where you've allowed your pure, pristine, noble soul to, to violate its own purpose, really. To go against your own identity. You know, one of the, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest wounds one human can inflict on another human is to coerce another person to defy their own identity. More than physical pain. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. Because you, you can never feel at one with yourself anymore. You've gone against your own inner compass. Of course, this happened you know, throughout our history many, many times. People were persecuted in ways where you had to go against your faith, against your religion. <coughs> but it's also a matter of values. In today's society, so many people are, are, are doing that to others. Twisting and, 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 and forcing them to go against what they know to be right inherently. So the first stage, welcome. The first stage in achieving this rectification is recognizing what it, what it did to your soul to sin. You may not have been conscious about it because in the moment, in the moment of passion, the moment of impulse, you give in and that's what it is. But when you reflect on it, that's, that's what it is. This is. It's a pure godly you know, energy being forced to make output in an area where it doesn't want to. Then think of the fact that the soul is just a piece of God, and when the soul gets schlepped, God gets schlepped along with it. And the Rebbe once, uh, in the beginning of his leadership in the 50s, people were, it was a big thing about going to college. People wanted to go to college, and the Rebbe came out very strongly against it, that a Jewish child you know, doesn't need college. He'll make it through with Torah, and, and Hashem will provide a livelihood. It was very, a huge campaign on that. And uh, there was one particular guy who came into an audience with the Rebbe and was kind of pushing back, you know. No, I, I won't give in to this temptation, I won't give in to that, and it's all going to be fine. So, that, so the, Rebbe, the Rebbe saw that its logic is not going to go anywhere with him. So he said, listen, you want to go to college, go to college. But understand that my father-in-law, the Rebbe would always, never refer to himself as the Rebbe, he would always put it on his father-in-law. My father-in-law, the Rebbe, is connected with his chassidim. So when you go to college, you're schlepping my father-in-law with you to college. 
So you want to go, go, but why do you have to shlev him with you? <laughs> Your soul is a piece of Hashem. It does a thing, okay, it violated its own identity. But attached to that is Hashem himself. The Zohar actually calls it Melech Asur Barahatim. It's a verse, but it's kind of a play on words where the king is bound by the The, 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 the brain system. Rahatim means troughs, but Rahatim could also mean Rahite Mocha, as Zohar says. It means like the, I guess the nerve system in your brain or, or your thinking process. Telepathy. Huh? Telepathy. Telepathy? Bound. Yeah. So Hashem is bound to the human brain. Okay. So Hashem is bound to the human brain and the choices that we make, we're taking Him with us. then you got to also think about the compassion you would have on somebody who was forced into that. Forget if it was you. If you watched something happen to somebody else like this, wouldn't you be filled with compassion? With pity? What a Rachmanis, you know, that it happened to them this way? So the Alter Rebbe says, you don't want to see it in yourself? See it as an outsider. Look at your soul as an outsider. What, how, how would you treat a soul that was forced into sin? Rechmanis. Pitiful. Now all this talk is very melancholy. It's very sad. It's very down. That's why it's a negative stage in tshuva. Because it requires you to enter the weeds where, where it's not pretty. It's just, it's just not pretty. How do you view himself? With all his degrees in university. The Rebbe? Yeah. That's for another conversation. <laughs> One time somebody came to the Rebbe and said, with college, and he said to the Rebbe, but the Rebbe went to college. The Rebbe said, no problem. When you finish university, and when you finish studying both Talmuds, Rambam, the Code of Jewish Law, and all the other commentaries, then come back and we'll we'll talk about going to college. (laughs) And he did. The Rebbe Rebbe went to college only after he was married. Wow. Sure, yes. Never as a single. The Rebbe would actually tell people that if you have to go to college, go after you're married. Oh, wow. No temp- married. After you're married. No you temptation. Am I going to go to college? <laughs> 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 this, is, this is my college. This is, a, he's, I get, he's, this is postgraduate. <laughs> this, exactly. I get my education here. I mean, <laughs> that's the first, the first part. The first part is the, is the downness. Once the clouds have cleared, see, you can only clear negativity when you go through it. Everybody who's been through either recovery or therapy knows this. No such thing as just, you know, jumping on and flying high. You have to face the demons in order to break through them. And this is why the first step of tshuva is about getting into the, uh, the negative feelings. But once those clouds have cleared, now there's room for the second stage, joy, celebration of the intimacy that a soul gets to experience with God. When it's all back, and all the pieces are back in place and the Rubik's Cube is all aligned with all the colors, <laughs> right? <coughs> now there's room for wholesomeness. There's room for the connection. 
This is called tshuva ila'a, the higher tshuva. The tshuva that just it celebrates. I mean, that's, that's, that's my word. It's, it celebrates a Jew with God as one. The practical deed the altar always goes back to is, is learning Torah. When you learn Torah, that's what happens. You align your brain with God's brain, your words with God's mouth, your deeds with God's deeds. Every part of you and every part of God's psyche are aligned. <clears throat> but those are the two steps, a negative and then a positive, and then it's all restored. How can you have joy in this process of tshuva? The Alter Rebbe says you can have joy because you can reflect on the fact that the very chance to do tshuva is a gift from God. And we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks extensively. How we shouldn't even be able to have the concept of tshuva. You violate a relationship with the infinite, you're done. Yad Hashem says, come back. Come back means we could be happy about that. Yes, we can handle paradox. There's negativity. There's failing. Okay. But there could also be a joy. That's what Altair makes the point that Philip was saying before. We, 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 you got to be genuine, though. You got to be, tshuva can't be, you know, round about. If you say, I'm going to sin and do tshuva, I'm going to sin and do tshuva, then you're relying on the tshuva to clean your slate. That doesn't work. But if you, in the moment, are genuine, if in the moment you're genuine, Hashem does not look at the past or the future. On Rosh Hashanah, you know, the, the, the head of the Jewish year, we read about Yishmael. The whole story about how he was sent out of the house and then he was thirsty and then the angel came and got nothing better to read about in Rosh Hashanah than you know, the father of Islam I mean like what <laughs> no seriously like what's the like what's the thing like, you know he almost died so we can celebrate that <laughs> but then he didn't die it bothers the commentaries they, they, they deal with it and one of the answers that they suggest is that in the, in the course of that episode, um, it says, Hashem heard the voice of the child as he was there. Ba'asher husham. And Rashi records a conversation that happened between God and the angels. The angel said, this is the man whose children are going to starve your, your, your children to death. You're going to let him live? And Hashem said back to the angels, right now, what is he? Right now. Is he righteous or not? He said, he's righteous now. Hashem said, I'm judging a person the way he is there. Right there, he's righteous. That's how we look at him. And Rosh Hashanah is that day. And many of us could be accused of, you know, really? Welcome to Shul. Thank you. Thank you for coming. You know, where were you all year? And, and, uh, and then today, this is going to clear it, right? You come, you blow the shofar, and now we're good? Yeah. Hashem says, yeah. You're here today. It's a genuine moment of honesty. You mean it as you are. Sure. I'll take that. So long as you don't come and say, well, this is my ticket for the year. Yeah, if you say this is my ticket for the year, no, then that doesn't work. <coughs> but there's a genuineness. Sure. Hashem says, come back again. Come back again next year. And come back the next and come back a hundred times. No problem. When you look at it that way, this is incredible joy. Wow, Hashem is letting me back. Come back, come back. No matter how many times you do it. <coughs> and then in the last chapter, the Alter deals with, with suffering and 
the Jewish approach to that, you know, suffering could be looked at as small things here save you from big things there. But that's the closer. I want to focus more on the bigger theme, these, these two tshuvas, negative and positive. The Rebbe said something amazing, amazing about, he, he gave a commentary on the, this, this theme, and he, he once said, it's, it's so incredible. In chapter 10 of this book, the Alter Rebbe says, <coughs> negative and positive tshuva should be taking place every day. Ideally. Ideally, every day we should go through the process of a negativity and then a positivity. A bitterness and a joy. In that particular order. But not everybody's capable of flipping the switch from negativity to positivity. So the Alter Rebbe says you can space it out. At night, which is the beginning of the Jewish day, at night you do the negative, and then in the morning when it's time for davening, you do the positive. Okay, not everybody can do it every day. So what do we do, the Alter Rebbe says? Here's what we do. Once a week, Thursday night, beginning of Friday, Thursday night, you do the negative tshuva because it's the last weeknight. Hey, what's negative tshuva? Negative tshuva means going through the the bitter feelings of how much, you, how much abuse you caused your soul and how much pity you should have on it. That, that, that going through that, 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 that mindset, all the sins and recollection and, and yeah, all the baggage that it carries and the whole thing. And then Shabbos, so Friday, Thursday night, negative. Shabbos, which is a holy, happy day, joy. happy, joy, happy tshuva. Listen to this. The Rebbe says, okay, this, till here's the Alter Rebbe. Every day, night and day, if not, Thursday night and Shabbos. The Rebbe says, Kabbalah teaches that the entire world history spans 6,000 years. We're now in 5783. By the year 6,000, Mashiach comes. Which means we could look at the 6,000 years as a week. Each thousand years is the day of the week. We're on Friday. Night. And we're on Friday, Erev Shabbos, after Chatzot, after midday. If you see a thousand years as a 24 hours, so Thursday night would be the first half of the millennia, and then Friday day would be the second half of the millennia. So the Rebbe said, Thursday night, oh, did we have a negative tshuva. Our nation has been through it in those 500 years. Look at, look at what happened to the Jewish nation, the persecution, the holocausts, the crusades, all in those 500 years. Thursday night. Thursday night we had the hell of negative tshuva. On Friday, you're supposed to taste the foods of Shabbos. You know, when you go into the kitchen, you're supposed to taste a little chalent, a little chicken, a little this. So on Friday, <coughs> as we are, right after midday, we have to taste, a foretaste of the positive tshuva of Shabbos. So the Rebbe said, therefore today, I submit that we should eliminate negativity from the tshuva process. We've done it, Thursday night has passed. Now, positive, joyful, happy, uplifted, inspired, stay focused on that. Every, every, every eve of Yom Kippur, Rebbe would bless 
the, the entire Jewish nation, he would always say, it should be a time of tshuva, but it should be a time of tshuva ilah, always, the higher tshuva. That's all, he never mentioned the lower, the higher tshuva, straight. There was even a time where there was a, um, the Rebbe in the 50s and 60s used to eat all the holiday meals by his mother-in-law while she was still alive. She passed in 1970, but he would, he would eat all the holiday meals there. And it was a very special time where people could ask the Rebbe kind of informally all kinds of questions. And the way it used to work was all the young boys would speak to the Rebbe's brother-in-law, because he had the audacity you know, to ask the Rebbe straight up all these questions, and they would give him a whole list, and he would ask. And the Rebbe would answer him. So one of the questions was, the Rebbe incessantly talks about positive tshuva. What is the source? What is the source for saying that? You look in the Tanya, it's both stages. You look everywhere in Hasidic literature, both stages. Where did the Rebbe get this from? That just positive tshuva. And the Rebbe said, If you must know, it's a instruction relevant for the hour. In other words, it's actually not sourced anywhere. One of the powers that a prophet has is to be able to rescind something in the Torah for a moment. He never says it doesn't exist, but for a moment he cancels it out. Like Elijah on Mount Carmel when he offered sacrifices, only time sacrifices were offered outside the temple, it was a hora'at sha'ah, instruction for the moment. So the Rebbe said, if you will, the fact that I push so strongly for joy is my instruction of the hour. It's not, it's not sourced. It's not sourced. It's the way we have to operate based on the Rebbe says, I, I, I read the generation. I see the souls. I see the Jews. I see what we're up against. We got we to gotta keep it this way. We got to keep positive. We got to stray. You know, we got to stay, um, stay joyful. And that's where effective tshuva really happens. I mean, we see this today. Telling anybody to go through the negativity doesn't work. Uplift, mm-hmm. elevate, and inspire. People flock to you. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Good point. I'll get to that in a second. Also, I'm along the same. But, well, like when you go daven in Yom Kippur or you know Yom Kippur, uh, <clears throat> although you're doing tshuva, you're still. I mean, I'm going by what what you said about the mm-hmm. You are still reflecting of your of your path. You're yes. reflecting. Yes. So you are still doing the the first level shuba, right? Or that's a process to get to the next level. So, no. So how does that reconcile? How does it reconcile? Red, red? This this is a good is a good question. Obviously, the Rebbe is not saying live in La La Land, you know, and ignore the negative, the the, the, the misdeeds. It's, it's, it's a matter of perspective. Be reflective, but do so from a space of joy. No, finish, then I'll, I'll add something. Oh, add, add, because I, I think you're going on, I think you okay, have, so you, yeah, you I could, me, I could I feel it. Right. Screaming too loud, I'm sorry. I think we're getting something, something so, good. As you're speaking, I'm thinking to myself, <clears throat> it's not dissimilar to if someone's gone through um, a difficult event. Mm-hmm. Um, narrowly escaped some terrible, terrible tragedy. If you've come out of combat, uh, come out of a battle, you're alive, but mm-hmm. you've lost people. It's inevitable. It's just human nature. You're saddened um, forever at the loss, but you're, you're euphoric that you've actually, you know, you're alive. Mm-hmm. 
you're euphoric, and that's, I, I think that's what you're talking about. You, you can't forget the sadness, but, you're, but you've come to that point, it's, you know, the, the, the moment that test is over, and, you, and you've survived by grace of God, now you can be euphoric, and it's, it, it just happens. It's just, it's, it's a chemical reaction. You're just- Okay. Now, I've never been, thank God, I've never been through the combat, but you could, you could see, you could see the concept. It, it, yeah, it's a good point, though, with the clarify. When I, when I say to be joyful, we don't mean, you know, delete and don't look at. Of course. You got to, you got to, and, but, just, but you can't dwell on it. You see, you can't be looking for that. People, I don't know, some people, they, they have this thing where they thrive on the, on the negativity. You can't, you have to, you have to stay positive. If to stay in that space. That part of what you said about how you can't just rise above the negativity, you have to go through it. That made a ton of sense to me. But then now you're saying in this, in this age, it doesn't apply. That makes less sense to me. I don't know. Like, I'm, saying, I'm saying that it's not, it's not the... Uh, the emphasis. Yes. The emphasis is on the joy. They still kind of do both. Like, you must. You must do both, of course. That's right. The previous that's right. That's right. And that's the real that that's the real effect of tshuva. That that's the one that lasts. So now we're after Yom Kippur. We're after Sukkot. We're after Simchat Torah. We're after that whole time of year. It's behind us. But uh, the Rebbe's father-in-law, the previous Rebbe, once asked his father the day after Yom Kippur. He said. What now? You know, we've done our service. What do we do now? And his father said, in Yiddish it goes better, he said, which means now we have to first begin doing tshuva. Like now that we've done it, now we've got to first begin to apply it. So while we are entering the year and it's no more holidays and no more Yom Kippurs till another year, but the mindset of positive tshuva stays with us forever. It accompanies us throughout the year. And it, it's, the, it's the reminder that the positivity is what's effective. And with that, we conclude our review of Book 3 of the Tanya. Chaya. 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 Chaya.